On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with narcissistic abuse coach Sabrina Victoria about shame, criticizing, accusations, and intermittent reinforcement. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. Today on our show, we have a narcissistic abuse coach, Sabrina Victoria, who is actually Valentina from our Survivor Story episode. That was in August, and it was August 21st, 2021, off the top of my head. So if you want to hear the Val- Valentina's or Sabrina's story, please go listen to that episode. And before we get to the show, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episode like Valentina or Sabrina Victoria, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button there that says Guest Form. Click on that button. It takes you a page. There's a lot of instructions. Please read all of the instructions. And then either send us an email from the email that is there or fill out our guest form. Also, for people who have not received an email back from me, please do check, please do check your junk mail because it could be hiding in there. Anyway, uh, I know another thing to do at our website is to go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. In the top of the page, there's a button there, there that says support. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. We have a community of people on there who are posting in our forums. We have integrated Zoom support meetings on Wednesdays and Saturday nights. I think we're about to start one that it will be on a weekday in the afternoon. We have meditation nights. We have closure ceremonies. We have just a great group of people on there who are there to get support and to help you at the same time. So if you want some extra support, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, press that button that says Support Community. Another way, though, to get support is to go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing, and they can connect you with the local resources like shelters and find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource. And that is it for today. So a big thank you to everyone who's listening to the show today, uh, you know, well, tomorrow, today, this whole entire weekend, it's Thanksgiving weekend. So if you're dealing with someone uh, or a family member and it's painful, you know, we're here for you. We're giving you big hugs. We know this is a painful time of the year for many, many people. So we're giving you as many big hugs as we can virtually from over here at Narcissist Apocalypse. And, uh, you know, I just, I also want to thank everyone for listening to the show and having us be a part of your lives. Uh, all the people that have been guests on the show, a uh, big thank you to, to them as well for sharing their stories and for helping so many people and for everyone listening, you know, thank just 
thank you for listening and being you. And now, without further ado, here is our episode with Sabrina Victoria. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. With me today, I have Sabrina Victoria. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I am doing well. For those that do not know who you are, some of them might have actually heard you before because you are from our Survivor Story episodes from August 16th, 2021, you are Valentina. And what people don't know about you is that you are also a master neuro-linguistic practitioner. You are a life coach who specializes in narcissistic abuse and human transformation. You can be found at herversion.life. And today you're going to share some of your stories and your experience on the topics we're going to briefly discuss today. And we will start off by touching on shame and then getting into criticizing accusations and intermittent reinforcement. But before we begin, let me just define shame. And shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And in the context of uh, abuse and abusive relationships, shame is in the form of humiliation uh, where we are critically embarrassed about something and that could just be being within the relationship. Shame is also a form of failure, defeat. So you might be feeling that you're a failure in this relationship and you don't want others to know about what's going on. Uh, that is a form uh, of shame that you might be experiencing. Uh, shame around strangers, of, of other people discovering the truth about your situation that you're in. That is a form of shame. Shame of not feeling that you're good enough for the person that you're with because they might have made you feel that way, that you are not good enough and you might feel shame within your relationship because of that. Then you also have shame of oneself of feeling inferior or something that might be inherently wrong with you. And that might be something, again, that your partner caused or could have been created in childhood as well. So... In the context of all of this, I'm, I'm going to kind of hand it over to you right now, uh, Sabrina, to kind of just give your experience of shame within your relationship and what shame means to you. Um, in regards to narciss narcissistic abuse, it really is a silent abuse that um, doesn't get enough um, airtime because it is so quiet and so silent and invisible. It, it a lot of times is invisible. Um, my past main abuser um, never hit me, never laid a hand on me, uh, yet I was so full of all of those things that you're talking about. And, um, you know, since being able to leave that situation, I have been able to really sit down and dissect a lot of this stuff. But many times there's so many layers of shame that we put on ourselves 
for being in this situation and not being able to fix the situation. And it really is a serious problem. And what I really want the viewers and listeners to know is that there is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. There's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. This issue, um, it hits, it, it really takes so many individuals, males and females, and it really pulls on the good people. It really does pull on the good people. And if you are in a situation like this, it's really important to focus on the fact that you got taken because you're good, because you're caring, because you're loving, because you're trustworthy. Um, narcissists do not prey on bad people. They don't prey on evil people. They prey on good people. So um, the shame that you might feel, the frustration that you might feel with yourself and the fact that you're here and maybe you have children involved. Maybe it took you this long to realize it. Maybe this is your first episode that you've ever listened to on narcissism and you're just starting to open up and, and open up this box and you're thinking to yourself, what the heck? How did I not see this? And I can tell you from personal experience and Brandon knows this, it took me eight years eight years in this relationship, having no idea, none whatsoever that I was being abused, had no clue. And when I opened, opened up, I did a Google search. Actually, my Google search was, why is my boyfriend bullying me? And that Google search changed the trajectory of my entire life. But it took me eight years to do that Google search. And, um, and I am where I am now because of continuing to learn, continuing to educate and continuing to put power within myself. So my, um, my advice for you is instead of focusing on the shame of how could I, and how did I, and how did I not see this? I want you to focus on how good you are and how trustworthy you are and how loving you are, because ultimately a hundred percent fact, a hundred percent fact, um, that more than likely you are in this situation because you are such a good, caring person. So uh, now let's discuss criticism or criticizing. Let's just first start off with a definition of uh, criticism. So criticizing is to indicate the faults of someone or something in a disapproving way. So after we kind of define that, let's hear about criticism that happened within the context of your relationship. And then after that, we'll kind of get into constructive criticism and constructive criticism uh, focuses on uh, providing constructive feedback supported by specific examples to help you improve in some area. So constructive criticism should be offered in a friendly manner with good intentions, that being different from regular criticism. And we'll get more into that uh, in a bit. Uh, you know, as far as, as you go, uh, what were the ways you were criticized? And then let's give a run through of the other different ways people are criticized. Yeah. So uh, people with NPD 
one of the first things that they do when you, you, they first start courting you, they make you feel really comfortable and they praise you a lot for all of the things. They find out really quickly what you're proud of, what you are really, what you feel you are really good at. And uh, they can tell when you get excited about something. Like one of the things that I'm really good at is staying organized. So I would, you know, go over to his house. I'd help him organize drawers, you know, started out with little kitchen drawers and then organizing his closet, trying to show my worth and um, giving me praise for being organized. And soon after, you know, within six months or so of this courting, maybe three months, sometimes it's even less, but they try to figure out what you're proud of. What happens is once they figure out those things that you think you are successful at in your life is they use those things against you later on. So for me, loyalty um, organization, cleanliness, uh, the way that I uh, speak or I emphasize my words was a good one. I've always been a good speaker. I've always been in sales. Um, so one of the things that I have always been praised on that I, I love about myself is my ability to speak and emphasize and speak slow or speak fast accordingly, to be a chameleon, uh, uh, to build community, and these were all things we used, you know, to help him become more successful in his business and his career, to help him grow his company was assets that I had. Uh, however, um, you know, he used every single one of those against me. So we're, we live in an imperfect world and not all the things get done all the time. And I'm not superwoman. So sometimes things slip through the cracks and sometimes I thought I organized, you know, this area and it's not organized, or I thought I had all these ducks lined up in a row and one of the ducks, you know, got shot in the head and died. Um, and then having to make up for that. And, um, so he would use that against me consistently, anytime anything went wrong and you're running a household, you're running a business. So, you know, I worked with him and, uh, and took care of the house. So on any given day, one thing goes wrong every single day in everybody's life. It's just whether or not you're focused on that or not. And my ex made sure that whatever that one, two, three things were that, you know, um, weren't lined up correctly, that he emphasized and pointed blame and made fun of me and criticized me for. So whether it was, you know, um, something falling through the cracks at work, he would say things like, I thought you were organized. I thought I could count on you to be organized. You know, one of the reasons I brought you into this company is because I thought, you know, this was a trait that you said you had. And I'd be like, I am, I am organized. It's just this thing just didn't work out. And he'd be like, well, if you were really that organized, then how would this thing go wrong, criticize my business skills, criticize my organizational skills, my cleanliness skills. If I just had, I think we discussed this in the last episode we were in, uh, we had a dog and the, you know, the dog would scratch himself and leave a little puddle of hair on the ground, just like animals do. And if he came home and he saw this little puddle of hairs 
uh, he would criticize the fact that he lives in a dump. He lives in a, in a pig pen or it looks like a tornado just came through here because of a little thing, a glass on the counter, some hair on the floor, a, you know, a few hairs on the couch, the bed, you know, comforter wasn't exactly lined up straight. Um, so I just want to point out here that the purpose of, of criticizing is, you know, one to uh, have you start questioning yourself to create doubt within yourself and your decision-making process. And it is also there to create uh, an erosion of your own uh, self-worth at the same time. So it's a a double whammy. And so you start to create doubt within your decision-making and then self-worth. And self-worth can come from, you know, being body shamed from criticizing your food intake, uh, you know, criticizing your uh, competence. Um, you know, once you start, your, your competence starts to be criticized, you know, that right there takes a double hit of uh, self-doubt on, on whatever you're doing and then also on your self-worth that you're not uh, good enough and, uh, you know, be you know cri- being critical of someone can really do major damage over you know a, a, in a very short period of time but in a long you know a long term situation that is the crux of turning someone who had no competence issues and no self-worth issues at the beginning into someone who doesn't recognize themselves anymore. hundred percent. And there is something called constructive criticism yes. and, you know, constructive criticism is, is different from criticism. Constructive criticism is done in a way to, you know, show someone the, a situation that they've been in mm-hmm. and actually it's not a criticism. It's to to kind of turn it and say, what if you did it this way, and and do it in a positive way? What if you kind of altered that? What would the situation look like after? It's and there's no blaming going on. Mm-hmm. It's it's to it's done in a way of well, there may have been six or seven other ways. I don't know what the best way is. Mm-hmm. Here are six or seven different options. If you tried any one of those ways, would the outcome have been a little bit better? And then you can try those and, and, and you can see it and you can feel it. It's yeah. not, you know, it's in my, it's the difference between closed minded and open minded, closed minded. Yeah. You're wrong. End of story. What you're doing is wrong. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Open minded, constructive criticism is you're not wrong, but there could be other ways of doing it. I don't know which way it is. I'm not going to tell you. It's for you to figure out on your own. And I'm here to support you in you doing that. I love that because the criticism from a narcissist, there's no solution. They're not trying to find a solution with you. So if you're being, uh, you know, constructive criticism from your spouse in order, because you might be, people might be thinking like, yeah, but I should be able to take constructive criticism. Is this constructive criticism or is this criticism? And the difference is that 
bad criticism from a narcissist, there's no problem solving involved. It's just talking about the problem. And even if you try to solve the problem, because I'm a problem solver at heart. So you see a problem, I'm on it. I'm fixing it. I'm constantly putting out fires all the time. But you'll notice that they want to sit in the problem and berate you about the problem versus talking about the solutions. You're 100% right. I love that. Yeah, because it's it's one of those things to recognize right away when you're at the beginning or in the middle or when you're about to go into a new relationship, the difference between yep. the, the two things. Because there is a difference. Um, yep. Because someone who's on your side and has good intentions isn't just going to say, no, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, end of story. Like that's yeah. pretty much is like end of story. No, you're wrong. There's When there's nothing else after that, yeah, that's not Dangerous. constructive. That's yeah. That's just criticizing. Yeah, yeah. And and I also want to add. I know this is completely off topic, but I want to add that when you leave a narcissistic relationship that you've been in for a very long amount of time, constructive criticism can feel like criticism because we are so overly sensitive to it. So it's really important to make sure you're healed. A good percentage of, of time has gone by where you are healing and you're coming within your power. Because in life, there's going to be criticism. It doesn't matter. You're going to be with people. You're, there's going to be compromises. There's going to be things that they don't appreciate that you do. And you have to be able to take constructive criticism. Um, so it's really important when you're just fresh out and you're getting back into the dating world to really ponder and allow yourself time to think and really, um, dissect on whether or not your new person that you're looking at is being, you know, if whether it's narcissistic criticism or if it's constructive criticism, because there is a difference, but we're so sensitive that we might not be able to see that the difference. Mm -hmm. So an example of constructive criticism in comparison to regular criticism, regular criticism, someone might say to you, you're a dirty slob. But in constructive criticism, it might sound like something like this. It's bothering me that you're leaving your dirty clothes lying on the bathroom or bedroom floor or both. So it would be helpful to me if you could make an effort to put them in the laundry basket or maybe even take them downstairs to the laundry room. Is that something that seems reasonable to you? And as you notice there, that's, you know, one is close ended, the first one, and this one is more open ended where there's a solution to the situation and uh, it's, it's a reasonable offer. You're not being put down in any sort of way. It, you're, you're, you're seeing it in a, in a positive light as this is, it's helpful. Or, and that it, it, you can improve on it and be helpful, and there's no animosity between two people. So next up, we have accusations. And accusations can come in many different forms and mean many different things. So to define accusations, an accusation is a charge or claim that someone has done something illegal or wrong. Accusations can be projections. 
and projections uh, are for the most part are when the abuser is projecting their own um, things, such as if they are cheating, they're projecting it onto you saying you were cheating. If they're lying, they're projecting it onto, onto you um, because uh, they're a liar. So in, in, in a lot of ways, it's a dead giveaway of what they're doing when it comes to being a projection that kind of accusation. And then in other ways, it's, it's there to kind of keep you off balance. It's there to, uh, keep you in line. So you self-regulate yourself as it's a form of control. And in many ways, um, these projections uh, or, or accusations are, are done for you to prove yourself, to prove your worth, that you're good. And some of them are also done because they are swerves uh, in, in these types of accusations. So, you know, we'll get back to the cheating aspect of stuff in, in a second. But that being a, a big one, that swerve being done to make you look in another direction because they are cheating. And then also accusations can be done to isolate you. Uh, as well, so you know some types of um, uh, things that might be you might be accused of would be if you're accused of undermining someone, if you're undermining your abuser, and that can be done right there, uh, you know, to um, make you prove yourself to them. Off the top of my head, cheating. We'll get to it in a second, but cheating can be done for many different reasons. It can be done as uh, a way to keep you in line. It can be done to keep you off balance. It can be done a way to you to prove yourself. It's a form of control. It's a swerve, and it's also done to isolate you. Your your abuser might be accusing you of not uh, accusing you of not loving them enough, or even caring about them enough. And that, as well, is a kind of a form of control in the sense of um, you at that point will try to prove yourself. And in proving yourself, you'll c- kind of do whatever you're told and self regulate. Um, uh, yourself, uh, you know, stealing is one being accused of stealing can be done being accused of being a liar, which again, it's a proving yourself that you're not a liar, which then kind of might do time stamps on, you know, checking in on uh, wherever you are and, and, and keeping that form of control. Uh, they might accuse your friends of being bad people or not being trustworthy, which is a way to isolate you. Uh, to not trust your friends. They might be saying that about you. You, you, Like, I don't trust you. You're accusing you of not being trustworthy, which does, you know, the same thing. And then they might accuse you of being a bad person, which then you all of a sudden react in the other way. Hey, I am good. This is what I'm doing. These accusations are a way to control in those ones. And then, you know, accusations are done because sometimes they are actually jealous and um, of who you're hanging out with. And those things, again, forms of uh, control, forms of keeping you in line so you self-regulate yourself. So uh, when it comes to accusations, uh, Sabrina, what was your experience with accusations and um, how did it affect you? The main things in our relationship were accusing and blaming. Those were probably the two things that I complained about the most is I was constantly getting accused of doing things that I didn't do. Um, being places that I wasn't and also being blamed, which they kind of go hand in hand. Um, my ex was very materialistic. So little things around the house, little things in the car, uh, with his clothing being, um, 
stained, being scratched, being smudged, constantly being accused of doing all of the things, um, leaving messes. I could swear that I never touched a part of his car, never, never washed that shirt. Um, and if something went wrong with it, whether I had or I hadn't or been around it or hadn't, it didn't matter. His uh, constant reply was always, well, I didn't do it. So you must have done it. And that went on for probably about three or four years until I finally gained enough power where I was like, well, I also didn't do it. So then who did it? Because he had so much power in the beginning of our relationship where literally he could just say, I didn't do it. So you must have done it. And that was the answer. Like I was just constantly getting accused of maliciously scratching his stuff or maliciously leaving messes or crumbs or, um, or, um, drama in the office on purpose in order to hurt him, in order to um, defame him, in order to make his business go under. Uh, but yeah, constantly, constantly being accused of just not being a good person, being a malicious person uh, all the time. So a- accusations are a form of control. And yes. so they're meant to have you a lot of the time on the defensive. And, and yeah. that's done so you conform to a desired outcome. So you start to self-regulate those behaviors in the future. So yeah. did, so can you discuss the, uh, some of your self-regulations? I want to say something because that just triggered something. For those of you that are dealing with this, um, towards the end of our relationship, I actually got my narcissist to admit to this. He admitted for real. He said that he purposely grew these accusations from little tiny itty bitty nothingness to hugeness in order to guarantee that I would never do it. So like he made it so horrible for me about cheating because he wanted me to never cheat. So in order to like guarantee, like he'd show me this huge wrath. So like in my head, I would think this was like his thought process in my head. I would think, oh my gosh, this is how he's acting when I'm not cheating. Imagine how it would be if I actually cheated or, oh my gosh, this is how he's acting if I leave a a cup in the sink, I will definitely never leave a a sink full of dishes. So it was the way to, and he said that he's like, he purposely did it in order to control my behavior and to give him a better guarantee of me walking this straight line that he wanted me to walk and never really ever stepping foot outside those lines for fear for absolute fear of him being even worse than what he actually was, which I can't even, I mean, the next thing would be literally physical abuse. Um, And maybe that's what it was. Maybe I was so scared of of him possibly hitting me that I, but I never would have done those things anyways. That's what's so crazy. But for those of you dealing with it, that's, 
the honest truth, like from a narcissist's mouth, what he said, he was literally doing it on purpose. He knew he was doing it to me. Crazy. And with your experience, what was going on was it was preemptive strikes and they want this person that you were dealing with wanted you to behave in a certain way. So they did these preemptive strikes to make sure that you just then followed in line with how they wanted you to self-regulate yourself. So as we discussed earlier, accusations can also be used as a swerve. So cheating is a double-edged sword because cheating can be used as, as you said, it's a three, actually cheating can be used as a three-edged sword. One, so you don't cheat. Two, as a swerve, so you don't see them cheating. Okay. And then three, when it comes to accusations of sleeping with family members, it's used as a form of isolation. So, you know, it's an insidious form of control and isolation is is accusing you of sleeping with a family member. Because all of a sudden you start to feel uncomfortable around that family member. And then you start to distance yourself from that family member. If they accuse you of sleeping with a friend. Uh, they they'll start might be starting to accuse you because they want you to start being isolated. So cheating as an accusation has three possibilities. Is there an accusation of um, competence of any sort? So you don't. So you isolate yourself from uh, doing the books or knowing your financial resources. In, in the grand scheme of things, are there accusations where it's like, you're not good at math? Yes. Yeah, 100%. You, you know, you're just, you're bad at math. You stink at math, you know, all these things. And I'll take over. I'll, t- I'll yeah. take this. And then you, is- in a way, that is an isolation. Of- Accusing you of not being able to to handle the books, handle the finances, and using one situation. Like maybe you missed one bill one time. And early on in your own personal life and you confided in him and you said, Hey, there was this one time, um, whatever. And and then that being used later on so that they can control. And that, and and that can separate you from doing the finances and not doing the finances. And once that's taken of your hands, all of a sudden they can do whatever they want over there because now you're not a part of that conversation anymore. Yes. So last thing before we end off the show, you know, we've kind of been bouncing around on on different subjects today, but let's discuss intermittent reinforcement. It's delivery of award uh, or of award at an irregular interval, a method that has been determined to yield the greatest effort from the subject. The subject does not receive a reward each time they perform a desired behavior or according to any other uh, regular schedule, but at seemingly random intervals. Yep. So oh, it just gives me the chills. So 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 in, so, so in that way, what is oh. happening here is that you don't know when anything is is yep. coming, and it's keeping you off balance a yep. lot, yeah. and. Since you don't know when anything is coming, it starts to give you a sense of um, attachment to that and hope, maybe, fear at the same time. 
and all of these different swirling feelings that kind of have you at that point hanging off of a rope waiting for breadcrumbs. You know, that's the desired outcome of intermittent reinforcement. So, you know, when it comes to you, how is that used in the context of, of your relationship? This was a consistent one in, in our relationship. So yes, a thousand percent. And this is what keeps you hanging on. And this is what creates the trauma bond because all you're constantly doing is just like waiting like a puppy dog. I used to even say this. I'm like, I feel like a puppy dog and I'm just waiting at your leg, just waiting for treats all the time, just waiting for treats and no consistency on when the treats were coming, just sprinkled randomly. And the frustration that would happen if I didn't get it and the frustration that would happen if somebody else got it. So in our office, it wasn't just me. There was two other females that worked under me. And I can't even tell you how many times he purposely, purposely would give compliments to them, would totally ignore me, would uh, pr- like show, um, show, and praise them for things that he knows I am proud of. So like organization, um, time management, making sure all the the things fell in the cracks. He would make sure uh, he said it in front of me to them. And that would make me work even harder to try to get a compliment or to get some sort of goodness from him. It was that constant race, a constant race trying to just get love and get appreciation. It was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. Yeah. And an analogy I like to use when it comes to intermittent reinforcement outside of a relationship is going to a casino. And when you go to a casino and you sit down or sit down at a slot machine, you're going to sit down, you're going to put your quarter in maybe a dollar, maybe a little bit more, you're going to pull that lever. And then, you know, maybe you're about to win, you know, one time, oh, hey, I won money. Oh, like, look at that. And you continue playing. But there's no rhyme or reason of what's going on. Then you go on a losing streak. Then you win a game. You know, maybe not win as much money as you did before, but you won something back. There's no rhyme or reason. But at the end of the day, for the most part, you know, because sometimes someone does win a jackpot. But for the most part, like at the end of the day, the casino is going to take your money. Yep. And you're not going to have enough. You're not going to have a lot of money left. If you don't have, if like you might, all your money might be gone. You might have some left. Someone might have pulled you away and say, hey, you know, I think it's time you, you step away from this. But no, you know, I, I, I can feel it coming. I can feel it coming. Yes. Yes. And uh, that's what intermittent reinforcement does when you look at it from the perspective of, you know, sitting at the slot machine. There's, there's winnings to be won. You don't yeah. know when they're going to go, but you, once you get that feeling in you of being rewarded that one time and that love bombing from that one time, you know, 
you know that you might get it again and you're sticking around. Yep. 100%. And the other thing, Brandon, which is why that analogy was so brilliant, is the house always wins. But when it comes to intermittent reinforcement, you know, within your relationship, scientifically, when you look at the science of it, it makes sense psychologically of how it's done and, and broken down. Yeah. Um, and it works. And it, it works it, on it, me 100%. It'll work on anyone, really. Yeah. Um, so if you're going through that and you're dealing with that right now and, you, and if you couldn't see what's going on and now you're able to pull yourself out and see it, you know, that's what's happening right now. Uh, in 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 this situation, and uh, anyway, Sabrina Victoria, how are you doing? I'm doing great. This has been great, dude. I learned some stuff today. So, well, I just want to thank you for being here with me today, and I love it. and and talking so and, ta- and talking about uh, all this stuff. You know, we we gave people some good insight today. And I want to thank you for, for being here. And before we leave, where can everyone find you and tell us about what you're doing? Um, so the uh, pretty much you can just Google my name. I just Google Sabrina Victoria. Um, all of my Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Tumblr, Twitter, all the things will pop up. Um, if you wanted to see my main website that I'm putting the most amount of effort into right now, it's called herversion.life. And uh, basically, I'm all about the female voice. I think that uh, it's been way too long where we don't have a stage for ourselves. There's so many male speakers. And uh, I'm doing my best to empower women and give them a voice and allow their struggles and their challenges that they've been through to be able to be heard and recognized and the victories that they've had be recognized and get them to a part, a point where they're uh, flourishing, where they're blossoming. And, you know, the cliche now is, you know, where they're not just surviving, but they're thriving and really getting to a good point in their life where they feel whole and they feel full and, and good about themselves and the choices that they've made up to this point, whether they agree with their choices or not, and allowing them the space to be able to grow from that and learn from that and see that narcissistic narcissism in our past or not, that we did learn something from being in those situations and there can be serious growth from that. Well, Sabrina Victoria, thank you so much for being here with me today. And for those of you listening, uh, once again, if you want to listen to Sabrina's episode as Valentina in our Survivor Stories, August 16th, I think off the top of my head, if I remember correctly, 2021, I'll put it in the actual show notes as well. As well, I'll have all of Sabrina's information. So once again, thank you, Sabrina. And from Sabrina and I, we hope you have a good night.